able to come back and just say thank you for all those years. And, and just, um, uh, I was here from seventh grade to 12th grade, but when uh, my first year of college, I went to Canada for a year and then ended up staying there for four years doing a, a program. And I uh, met a Canadian and uh, have stayed there ever since. And so um, came back for a couple years. But I, it was one of those um, just uh, cool God moments where he brought me there. And I, I now work at a church. And, and in 2004, I got the opportunity to go to Kibera for the first time. Some of you may heard a little bit about this in the um, Sunday school hour if you were there. But, but I got a chance to go to Kenya and a chance to fall in love with a particular community called Kibera. And for those of you who weren't there this morning, I just want to tell you a little bit about Kibera. Kibera, um, you know, home to a million people, um, a place where um, most of Nairobi, the city of Nairobi's workforce lives, and a place of, of a lot of poverty. You know, it's, it's Africa's largest slum. There's not uh, any running water or electricity or, um, oh, thanks a ton. Not any, um, you know, uh, all, all the electricity and running water are um, kind of um, pirated or brought in from, from the city. It's just um, a place of so many different nationalities um, in Africa, a place where so many immigrants come to the city. When you come to Nairobi to find work and you need cheap rent, you end up in Kibera. And it's quite a place. But when we went there, um, a- actually, if any of you have seen the movie The Constant Gardener, um, that's uh, you know about the pharmaceutical companies. It's actually filmed in Kibera with people from Kibera. And you know, uh, going there, it just you see the need and you see what's going on, but you also see this amazing community uh, led by a guy named Pastor Timothy Malehi, and he's a pastor there, and they're involved in a, a Bible college where they're training pastors to go into the slum and to um, plant more churches. He's involved in a school where there's a feeding program. The World Food Pro- Program gives them a meal a day, um, and uh, they train up the teachers who are godly. They love the Lord, and it's just an incredible school. And there's the church. They do evangelism. I mean, it's just, it's a it's an amazing little kind of ecosystem of ministry that's happening, all led by this Pastor Timothy. And so we got a chance to go there and work, and, and, uh, and Pastor Timothy just said, you know, Matthew, one of the biggest needs we have is for, is, is for small loans, little loans that will contribute uh, to helping people uh, start up their businesses. And uh, so we've been involved in microcredit or microloan programs. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with it. Big groups like Kiva are kind of, kind of, kind of some of the biggest. And so uh, we've been involved in microloan uh, work. But I, but I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to you at First Baptist. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In 2010, you sent a team from First Baptist, and some of you are, were probably on that team, to Kibera. And you loved the Kiberans in the name of Jesus. And thank you for doing that. That was incredible. They still remember that trip. They still thank us for sending the old people. And uh, so I laugh about that because that was probably my dad. Um, but, you know, a lot of young people go to Kibera uh, to serve on mission. But, um, but it's, oh, it's just so amazing to see the older generation come and, and to love Kibera. And the second thing um, that you guys have done is you've given. You've given financially over and above. It's been such a blessing for all of us who love Kibera. It's been so cool to have First Baptist Church Norman contribute financially. And you have been a part of so many people getting small loans to start businesses. So thank you. Because of people like you who are just so generous, people are working in Africa's largest slum. They've started up little businesses here and there, and it's just so incredible um, to have uh, such generosity come from my home church. And and so thank you so much. I know there's many organizations that you could partner with, uh, but thank you for picking Kibera and uh, would welcome you to come at any point to Kibera. Um, Just kind of come on your own or nudge my dad or something like that, but please come. They would love to meet you.
Okay, well, I had the, um, uh, the honor of being asked to, to teach and preach, and I know that uh, it's an honor, and I want to thank uh, Brother Wade for, for letting me uh, be able to um, share the pulpit today. It's a huge honor, and um, I don't know him super well, and so the fact that he trusts me to come do this is just huge, so thank you uh, to Brother Wade. I went, uh, today, he, he gave me a text to preach from today, and it's a, it's a powerful text. It's from the, the book of Acts, chapter 8. And uh, we're going to get into it in a moment, but before we get into it, I just wanted to share, you, share with you a, an interesting story that happened to me. When I was here for two years, in 2004 to 2006, um, I was in a band, and we were trying to make a go of it, and Josh is here in the room. And uh, so we were all, you know, trying to make a go of it, and, but during, I, we needed a day jobs. I needed a day job. I needed to earn some money, and so I was a substitute teacher. And so... I'm like, okay, I'm going I'm to substitute teach in the public schools. And I usually was with elementary schools, but this time I got assigned to uh, my high school, right, Norman North. And uh, part of the first graduating class of Norman North. Okay. <laughs> but I did spend a year uh, at Norman High, so I love both schools. But anyway, so I was at Norman North. I go, I go to the school, and I'm sitting there. And so I'm, you know, I'm t- 25, and so it's been about seven years since I've been at the school. And uh, I won't use names for the story because I'm in Norman as I tell the story. Um, I can use names in Canada, but so anyway, so I go, I go to the, um, go to the school and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting in the, in the front office and, uh, and different teachers were passing by and they're like, oh, hi, Matthew, you know, it's been a while. And I'm like, oh, hey. And one particular teacher came by and, and he goes, hey, and I was like, hey, and he's like, uh, Matthew, like Matthew, that's so great. What are you doing here? And I said, well, actually I've just come back and, um, I've wanted to start substitute teaching. Hey, that's fabulous but like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, well, I said the same thing I had just said, right? I'm like, I'm a substitute teacher. Okay, well, that's great. Hey, listen, um, at lunch, you got plans for lunch? And I'm like, no. And he's like, why don't you come to my office? And, um, and so I was like, okay, awesome. I'll come to your office for lunch, uh, to your class for lunch. So I went to his class for lunch, and um, I was just kind of enjoying my lunch. He was with another student. And then, uh, and uh, he came up to me with a, with a student, and he goes, hey, Matthew, I really want you to meet this girl. She's, like, awesome. She's, like, a, she's an amazing kind of, like, she's doing really well in class, and, uh, and, yeah, she's just a really bright student. I'm like, oh, well, good to meet you. And he goes, and, uh, girl, uh, this is Matthew, former student of mine, former exchange student from Germany. And I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> and so then I was like, okay, he has no idea who I am. And so then I was like, I'm like, Oh, so then I started, I, I was like, man, my English is really clear for being a foreign exchange student. And, I, and, and so, and then I suddenly got really paranoid about my English, and I started to kind of like, like, unlearn English kind of a little bit. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, literally, I'm not making that up. I was just like, I just kind of said a few yas, and I was like, okay, I should probably not like sound too competent in English. I don't know why. German exchange students are probably totally competent. Anyway. In that moment, I felt this big because I was like, suddenly this guy like, like, like was hanging out with me, but he had no idea who I was, right? Did not recognize my voice and my, didn't know my story. And I really wanted to ask him, I was like, do you actually know me, right? Do you really know who I am? And today we're going to listen to the story of Philip. And when I was reading the story of Philip, I thought, oh my goodness, look, look, watch Philip. Philip knows the voice of God. He is so in tune with the voice of God. And he knows when God's speaking to him, right? He can totally, he can hear it and he'll move and he'll obey. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. My teacher and I, right? Like a total disconnect. But I started thinking, what about our Christian life, right? What kind of disconnect is there between us and God? Do we really know the voice of God? 
Can we actually say, I know you, and I can move when you ask me to move, and wherever you go, I'll go, right? Is there that connection? Well, today, as we listen to the story of Philip, um, there was no confusion for Philip. He was a man of prayer. The mission that Philip engaged in was rooted in a life of prayer. And today, I'm going to say this over and over again, but I wish that we would pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. I wish we would pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. So let's dive into the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Okay, this is an absolutely fascinating story. I love it. The angel of the Lord is so specific when speaking to Philip, right? And he sends Philip to a desert place. Okay, so Philip is part of this church that's just being scattered. There's persecution, and so Christians are going all over the place. And Philip hears from the Lord, right? And it's like, Philip, go to the desert, right? Okay, right? Not a lot of people in the desert. Not sure why I'm being sent to the desert, but he goes. It was a place with very little water. It was a highway that took people from Jerusalem down to Egypt. And this person that Philip is sent to is an Ethiopian eunuch, a pretty interesting guy. This guy was a pretty big deal. He would be, basically be the CFO of the land. He was the treasurer. And he was educated. He could read. And he also owned an Isaiah scroll. Those weren't just kind of hanging out at Mardell's anywhere, right? Like, this is expensive stuff. People who own scrolls were pretty, a pretty big deal. He's a high-ranking guy. He's educated. He's wealthy. But here's the deal. He's a eunuch. If you want to know what a eunuch is, maybe do some research on your own. Just don't Google image it, right? But without getting too graphic, a eunuch would have had no family, right? That's why eunuchs were trusted in, a, in an empire. Picture it, right? If you were a king, you could trust the eunuch with lots of responsibility for two reasons, right? Because they're going to be totally devoted to the empire, and they're not going to be devoted to the king's harem of women or to the queen, Right? They had the devotion of the king. So this was a trusted and powerful man. But here's the deal. The eunuch would not have been allowed to worship in the temple. How do we know this? If you want to flip there, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, right? Deuteronomy 23 forbids any eunuch from worshiping in the temple. So this African, wealthy, powerful, right? High-class guy comes to the temple to worship. But he would have had limited access to God. Now, Philip shows up randomly in the desert. Now, picture a Jew randomly showing up in the desert. And the eunuch was reading aloud as most did that day. We've got our little Kobo Kindles, whatever they are, and we read silently, right? But at this time, no, they would have read out loud. And the Spirit of God tells Philip to approach the chariot. So Philip's already like, okay, God, you've called me to the desert. Now you're calling me to the chariot, a chariot which was moving, probably not super fast, say maybe just an ox, right? So he could have walked or maybe he was running, so God's asking him to do some interesting things, right? So go up to the African, run next to the chariot in the desert. So he's running alongside the chariot, listen to him reading, and then he goes 
you know, hey, do you understand what you're reading, right? Kind of an awkward moment, a bit of a weird story. And we're beginning to see, and I hope you see this, that when Luke is writing the book of Acts, he's getting us to see how ridiculous this situation really is. Only God would put Philip in this situation. Only the Spirit of God. No reasonable Jew would be running alongside a chariot asking someone what they're reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Okay, so as Philip is in this awkward moment running next to this chariot, what does he hear the Ethiopian read? Isaiah 53. Philip couldn't have come at a better moment, right? It's like a movie scene where it just perfectly works. God was weaving things together. And this particular scripture is talking about the injustice that was done to Jesus. And Philip knows scripture so well that he hops up into the chariot and explains the book of Isaiah, pointing forward to Jesus. Isn't that an incredible moment? Just right there, sitting next to each other on the chariot, scrolls out, right? And, and Philip's doing his work, right? He's showing the eunuch. Now, what's fascinating, if you know the book of Isaiah, you know that these are the servant songs, right? And three chapters later, I want you guys to see something incredible. It says the following about eunuchs, Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5. This blew my mind. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, check this out, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Every eunuch would have ended that, that family line. No more family, right? No sons, no daughters, no more name, right? Done. But what is Isaiah 56 saying? I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I will give them a name better than sons and daughters. Listen to this. God is saying, I'm going to pour out my grace on all those who will have no lineage to eunuchs. Eunuchs who wouldn't have been able to have a family would get this name that would never be cut off. It will be better than sons and daughters. You see, Philip had this amazing moment sitting there on the chariot, right? Opening up God's word to show the eunuch that there was grace enough for him. That he, because of Jesus Christ, because of the lamb that was slain earlier in Isaiah 53, that this eunuch would have an inheritance, right? Would have a name. He would get a new last name that would go on forever. That's the good news of Jesus. He would no longer be barred from worship. He would no longer be kept from the temple, from worshiping God. No, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the eunuch would have direct access to God. Why? Because that temple veil was torn at the cross and we have access to the living God. Such good news. Such good news that even though they're in a desert, they randomly see water, right? And here's what happens. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. That's powerful, right? The eunuch is baptized in the desert, and then Philip taken away immediately. Like some kind of intense quantum leap moment, right? You remember that show? Okay. We're always wishing he was going to go home or whatever, whatever the point was. Or like, beam me up, Scotty, right? It's, it's an intense moment. But the, mo- but the point here is that God's grace is lavished on one who would have been excluded from God. God's, is, God's grace is poured out upon an African. But there's something even bigger I hope we can see in this passage. Philip is living a life, here it is, in tune with the Spirit of God. Totally in tune, totally on track, right? Have you noticed that? Philip recognizes the voice of God. I wish we would pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. Do you see the thread that runs through this story? You see the glue that holds it all together? It's the Spirit of God. It's Philip being sensitive to the Spirit of God. It's Philip listening to the Spirit of God. Check it out. Let me name some times here, right? God leads Philip to the Ethiopian. The Spirit leads him to stand by the Ethiopian. The Holy Spirit was preparing the eunuch by reading the passage from Isaiah. The Spirit opens the eyes of the Ethiopian to hear the truth. The Spirit came upon the Ethiopian at baptism, and the Spirit leads Philip away. God, Spirit, God, Spirit. God's Spirit is doing all the work. And this work is so vital that he's probably the first African to come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. In the year 2000, 380 million Africans would call themselves Christians. That's 58% of Africa. And Christianity is growing at four times the rate of Islam in Africa. Today in Africa, Christianity is growing, and it goes back to this one story, the first African convert. And what happens? Philip was listening to the voice of God. Oh, I wish we could pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. Friends, a life of prayer is the core of mission. Philip knew this. Jesus knew this. How do we know that Jesus knew this? Listen to John 5, 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does. Jesus was totally connected to his Father. Actually, in the book of Mark, you see him and he's doing this amazing job healing all these people, tons of miracles. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. And then all of a sudden, they can't find Jesus, right? The disciples are like, where did Jesus go? And he's up, you know, praying. And he comes the next morning, early, and they're like, Jesus, where have you been? Like, you have no idea. Like, there's, there's a lineup at the door. People are knocking on the door. We need more miracles. And what's Jesus doing? What, what does he say? He goes, let's go to the next town. Are you kidding me, right? Do you know the kind of business we could set up here with your miracle work? No, he was so in tune with the Father. He's like, we're going to go to the next town because I'm listening to God's voice. Jesus reveals that he only did what he saw his father doing. There were so many things that tried to distract Jesus. Think of Satan in Matthew 4 in the wilderness. Or think of the temptations that Jesus heard on the cross. What what were some of the things that people were yelling, right? If you're the son of God, come down. 
But it was precisely because he was the son of God that he couldn't come down. So what does he do? He goes, no, I know what I've been called to. In the garden, he knows that he's been called to drink this cup. Jesus knew his father's voice. Philip knew his father's voice. What would it look like for you and I to know the father's voice like that? To recognize his voice above all the others. I wish that we could pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. But you see, the world is going to do anything to keep us from praying. Everything in our modern world, the efficiency, the pace, the busyness, it's going to work against being a people of prayer. But I believe, and I can't say it strong enough, that until we're a people of prayer, a people who have worn out our knees, a people who have this growing sensitivity to the voice of God, the living God, that you and I won't see revival. We won't see stories like Philip's. But we're so skeptical of prayer, aren't we? Why pray? Right? There's so many things that need action. We need to act. We need to move, right? We're not doing anything for the kingdom. How many of you feel that restlessness? And prayer, is prayer really the answer to that? Think about it. I, um, I don't, it's not a school anymore. Interesting. West Mid-High. I remember being there. Um, I remember taking this test at West, and uh, there were about 50 questions, and it was a quiz. You guys probably know where this is going. You've probably taken one of these before. I was an idiot and failed this. Our teacher told us to read the directions first and then to do the quiz, right? You've done one of these before? I didn't read the directions, nor did 95% of the class, right? And then we just started answering these like questions on a sheet of paper. Classic teacher trap, right? Had we read the directions, we would have noticed that the directions told us to put our pencils down and to bring the paper up to the front desk, that we didn't actually have to answer the 50 questions, right? You guys taken one of those before? No, okay, there, one, all right. It's a brutal tactic, right? Like, I'm not sure what teachers are thinking. Well, they're trying to get us to read the directions. Anyway, the point is, the rest of us filled out the 50 questions, and we failed, right? And we go, well, no, 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 I answered the questions correctly. And the teacher's like, no, you failed. Because the test was to see if we could follow directions. That was the one point of this test. And you failed it, right? That was the test, and we missed it. And church... How many of us are missing it? We're moving into the 50 questions in action, 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 when at the beginning was, pray. Listen to my voice. Could you listen to me? Because you're going to go and you're going to do all these good things that are good in your mind, but they may not be what I wanted for you. So are you listening? This is so hard for me, right? Like I'm preaching to myself right now, right? Matthew, you need to stop. You need to listen. See, at the top of our page, when it comes to faith, there are directions. And it calls us to pray, to have this authentic life with God, to know the voice and leading of our true shepherd. How often do we rush into busyness for God, deeds for God, getting things done for God, and at the end realize that few are coming to know him, that few are actually living a life of surrender? Could it be that we miss the directions? How often do we as a church pray how often do our families pray? How often do you shut the closet door to get on your knees early in the morning to just pray? And by the way, I'm all about reading the word of God. I love the word of God, right? Spent lots of time studying the word of God. But I'm talking about prayer. 
We can pray as we read scripture, absolutely. But how many of us will just sit quietly listening to the voice of God? Friends, if we don't pray and if we don't hunger for the living God, if we don't truly believe that our prayers matter, that he's listening, that there's a spiritual battle for the conversion of our cities, if we forget this, if our knees are not worn out because of prayer, then we're in danger of missing the entire plot. Because the heart of mission is prayer. This number, God can... There are people who are being prayed for all across the world, people who get on their knees and pray that Muslims would come to know the Lord, right? And what happened, Muslims have dreams of, of Jesus, right? And they see Jesus in these dreams, and you go, wow, nobody came to them. Nobody handed them a track. Nobody did some kind of good deed to get them to know Jesus. No, not at all. It's because God's spirit is working, and he can move behind government lines, and he can move in the thickness of hardened hearts if we become a people who are on our knees lifting up the five billion who don't know him. The heart of mission is prayer. And a church that doesn't pray is a dead church. I love Tozer when he says this. 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. Right? So just because we're religious and that we get together doesn't mean we're alive. It doesn't necessarily mean we're walking in step with the Spirit of God. How many of us in the room want to see Norman go through a period of revival, right? For revival to come. And revival isn't this kind of weird thing at all, right? Tim Keller from New York, he says revival is just a heightening of the presence of God, where people are finding salvation and freedom, where the spiritual disciplines are becoming more and more in people's lives, right? Where there's a hunger for worship. How many of you want to see Norman go through something like that? I know enough about Norman to know that just like my city, this is not picking on Norman, just like Langley, British Columbia, there's a church hopping. There's a focus on the newest form of church or the newest program. It happens in Canada all over the place. We're focused on, on denominationalism, right? Not partnership. We have all kinds of words for this. CBF, SPC, Reformed, Neo-Reformed, Renewal Churches, Mainline, Evangelical, yada, 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 Right? This is Satan misguiding the church. Could you imagine a church united in prayer, right? Hungering, gathering together in the name of Jesus, lifting up this incredible city that Jesus loves. Can you imagine what would happen if churches met for corporate prayer together? Could you imagine if we were corporately listening to the voice of God, hungering for the presence of God, not the next you know, program or the next pastor or the next knight in shining armor or this new thing, right? No, 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 no. It's a church on its knees, repenting for sin, calling out in hunger for the living God. Do we want that? I wish we could all pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. And youth, let me challenge you here today. Could you gather the Christian students not once a year around a flagpole, although that's good? Could you gather them once a week early in the morning and could you just pray? No Bible study, no talking, just prayer. Pray for your teachers, pray for your principal, pray against violence, pray against cliques, pray against bullying, pray for your friends to know Jesus and for there to be unity amongst Christians. And I promise, that delights the heart of God. God will move. Like Philip, you're going to find you're walking around your high school and coincidences will begin happening. Oh, that's interesting. Random things will begin happening. Cynical people will tell you, hey, those are just random, right? 
But you'll know. You'll know that people are on their knees praying. Business people, let me challenge you. Gather the Christians in your business and pray. Get on your knees and pray and pray for the integrity of your workplace. Pray for openness to the gospel. Pray for the needs of individual coworkers who are going through crisis in their own lives. Teachers, musicians, plumbers, electricians, no matter who you are, could you gather to pray? Charles Spurgeon says this, a church in the land without the spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. If you have not the spirit of God, Christian worker, remember that you stand in somebody else's way. You're a fruitless tree standing where a fruitful tree might grow. Could the church in Norman pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver? I want you to know that our church in Canada, we're struggling with this. Struggling. We, we want to be a people of prayer. And we've had to do a couple kind of radical things. We've had to cancel programs, cancel things in the evenings just to gather in corporate prayer, to listen. Our staff team in the mornings, rather than jumping into work, we spend 30 minutes praying together. And there's this urge or this desire to check email, to go, to meet with these people, but we have to stop and we have to listen to the voice of God. The love for our city will be like a guy blindfolded throwing darts at a dartboard, right? It'll be just wishful thinking. It'll be like taking pixie dust and throwing it over the city and hoping something's going to happen, right? If we don't pray. We'll be doing what's wise in our own eyes. But do we honestly think that Philip picked this scenario? Running next to an African friend in the desert on a chariot, shouting out, can I help you read your scroll? Awkward, right? But amazing, because God was speaking. And we want him to speak to us. I, I want to end with just a couple quick stories. We had a neighbor, tattooed sleeves. He owned this place called The Chop Shop. It was a hair salon <laughs> with like biker theme. Anyway, it's really interesting. He was pretty intense dude. We would often hear across the walls, lots of arguing, lots of yelling. And uh, we have shared walls. We live in a thin rows of homes. Anyway, and so uh, we often heard a lot going on there. And, um, but, but I didn't know what to do because this guy was an intense guy and I knew he was involved with kind of a community that's quite intense. And so Tanya and I would just pray for him and we just pray, for, his name's Daniel, just pray for Daniel. And honestly, I'm like, this guy is a rock. There's no way that the gospel is going to penetrate his heart. No way. And, um, and so one day we were just praying, 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 and he told us he was going to be moving. He was moving away from our home. And so like, oh, like now, like we need to, we really need to, to take a step of faith here, right? And so we're praying and so then I, I just, there was this little tiny book, um, and I gave him this little book, and it was about kind of the, the um, you know, that idea of there, there's a God-shaped hole in everyone, and that there's, and so he's just, so he said, okay, thanks a lot, and I gave him a Bob Dylan record, uh, Slow Train Coming, because I thought, okay, these are kind of, I think, the Christian ears of Bob Dylan, so I'm like, hey, hopefully this will, because I know he loves Bob Dylan, and so I, I gave him this as gifts, and I just was praying, God, would you break through, would you just come, somehow would Daniel come to know your love? The very next day, he, I hear a knock on the door, and I open the door, and it's Daniel, and I'm like, whoa, and he's like, hey, man, I just went to a coffee shop, and I just read the whole book, and I'm like, seriously, right, and he's like, yeah, it's exactly what I need, it's what I need, and uh, I'll tell you a funny story, actually, Matthew, he says, the other day, I was on the golf course, and I was just like hitting golf balls, and I was swearing at the golf balls because the golf balls were not going where I wanted them to go. And at the end of the golf match, the guy that I was golfing with told me he was a, a pastor. And I'm like, oh, the whole day I was swearing, and there was a pastor there. And so he's like, oh, so anyway, but he said, you know, the craziest thing 
is I've been wanting to meet with this pastor, but I'm, I'm there reading your book, right, the book that you gave me at the coffee shop, and I get a call on my cell phone, and it's this pastor I golfed with, and he wants, he wants to meet me for coffee, right? In one day, friends, right? I had lived next to this guy for two years. In one day, what does God do? He pulls a Philip scenario, right? Boom, boom, read the book, coffee shop, everything's coming together in this beautiful orchestrated thing. I know God was listening. Final story, there was a girl named Stephanie. She Googled prayer in Langley. Langley, again, is the city I live in. She Googled prayer in Langley and our church kind of popped up because we had this Tuesday night prayer. So she shows up, never been to church in her life, and uh, she is just broken, right? A um, lot going on personally. She got uh, just really struggling through eating disorders, but she, had, she just needed hope. She wanted to pray. And so she comes, and this team uh, uh, tells her to meet with a group of us that we met for a program called Alpha, and it's an introduction to the Christian faith. So she joined our table. She's brand new, right? Doesn't know anything about God, doesn't know anything about Jesus. She starts hanging out at our table. And as she is just, um, week after week, she hears a little bit more about God, a little bit more about God, and we had an opportunity to pray with her. And uh, she had a mentor lady that was walking with her through this whole eight-week process. At the end of the eight weeks, she just goes, I think I'm ready. Every week I've come to this program, uh, like a lock is just undone, 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 you know, at my heart. And I feel like I'm opening up my life to Jesus. And in tears, she gives her life to the Lord. And in the weeks that followed, it was amazing. There was just this healing upon her life. And just that, that, that um, the eating disorders were just, and, and I know it doesn't always happen like this, but by God's grace, they just... Uh, it, uh, she was just like, I'm walking in freedom. It's incredible. And she began to bring her boyfriend to church and her mom to church. And it was just an amazing story, right? But who Googles prayer and randomly ends up there, right? It's because if we, if we have a hunger to see more Stephanie's, more Daniel's, more of these moments where you just go, unbelievable, you Googled prayer, unbelievable, you went golfing and now this book and, the, you know, it doesn't take much, but God orchestrates this. Are these coincidences? Are they random chance? Are they flukes? No, God is listening. And friends, I wish we could pray like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. I think there's another song. If there is, I'd love to invite the team up. I don't know if that's how we do it. Um, yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to end with a, with a question and a prayer. The question, I feel like God is asking Matthew, right? Matthew, do you really know me? Do you actually know me? Do you know my voice? Well, like my teacher at Norman North, I pray that you and I would not reach the end of our life only to find that we never knew his voice, that we never truly prayed, that we never walked in step with the Spirit, that we were never led like Philip was led, that we never knew the sound of our shepherd's voice who loves us. No, friends, let's be a church on its knees, a church whose knees are bruised by the hours we spend praying for the conversion of our city. And if you're wondering where we're going to start, let it start with you, right? Don't wait for the church to start a program. Let it start with you, you and a couple friends who gather together and let your prayers catch fire and the movement of prayer spread through Norman so that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in Norman as it is in heaven. So Lord, may we love you with all that we are. May you fill us anew with a deep love for Norman. Fill us with a burden for the lost. And may we truly be a church on its knees.
lifting up this great city to you and clinging to you like a drowning man clings to a life preserver.